Now, in recent weeks, on Sunday afternoons, we've been considering some of the events in between the birth of Christ and the start of his ministry, which we're told in the scriptures was at about the age of 30. We've had several references to John the Baptist in the last few weeks. We're going to do that one final time this afternoon. He's unlike any other figure in the New Testament. And he really is, as is often said of him, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus confirmed at the inaugural Lord's Supper that he, Jesus, would be establishing a new covenant between God and mankind. And he'd be doing that by the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins. The types and shadows of the Old Testament, which were all signposts pointing to him, they could all then be done away with. They remain in the scripture for our teaching and our learning and our instruction, but a new covenant is established in Christ. So imagine someone studying a brochure for a new car, new kitchen, new house, new anything. And then they take possession of the real thing. What do they focus on now? The brochure or the real thing? The hoardings around the building site bearing images of the planned apartment block are taken down. Why? Well, the apartment block is built and finished. Who wants hoardings with images when you can have the real thing? John the Baptist was God's final messenger pointing to the one who has been long promised, long hoped for, and long anticipated. But he will be the one who finally gets to see him, point to him, announce him to the world, and then to give way to him. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets who said, now you have Christ. Jesus says as much in verse 13 of Matthew 11, having given John that wonderful word of commendation. Those things now are ended. Their job is done. John the Baptist must have cut quite a figure as he strode out of the wilderness, mustn't he? Preaching his message of repentance, which we thought about a few weeks ago. And with John the Baptist in mind, I just want to share three considerations that he prompted me to think on very deeply as I was thinking about him as a character in the scripture. Here's the first he was denied others' blessings. Let me explain. In Luke chapter 3, we read these words. With many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him, 
concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for all the evils Herod had done, he shut John up in prison. And then we're told in Matthew chapter 11 that John is still in prison and he starts to hear about all that Jesus has been doing. John hasn't been able to see or hear for himself anything that Jesus has done. And I found that to be something worth pausing over and thinking about. For months, we can't be sure quite how many months, but for months, John has been declaring the coming of the Messiah and seeking to prepare the people for his arrival. No one is filled with more anticipation than John the Baptist. No one is more certain that he's about to appear than John is. No one is more overawed than John as his eyes meet the eyes of Christ on the bank of the Jordan River. No one is more humbled by John as Jesus insists that John must baptize him. And then, before John gets to see or hear anything of Christ's ministry, he's arrested by Herod and thrown into prison. John has publicly rebuked Herod Antipas for marrying the wife of his own half-brother and he's called him out for many of the other wicked things that he's done too. Nasty piece of work was Herod. And John's levelled with him, told him the truth, done it publicly. So there's John having given himself fully to telling everyone that Jesus is coming and no sooner does Jesus arrive than he gets thrown into prison. Think of the blessing and privilege that tens of thousands of Jews would have witnessing the ministry of Jesus and John is denied it. How unfair is that, people would say. What kind of God would pull a cruel trick like that? Ever been there? Ever been there? Ever thought that because of all you have done, that I at least deserve whatever it is that you think you deserve? Ever thought that? Ever thrown a hissy fit over something like that? <laughs> There's no evidence that John did, by the way. <laughs> But I suspect that you and I have over far less. Question. Do you believe that these kinds of happenings that you read about John the Baptist, do you believe that they are ordered by the Lord? Hmm. Being ordered by the Lord does not merely mean that God permitted it. It means that it was God's predetermined will and purpose. Do you believe things like that as a Christian? Do you believe that these kinds of happenings are ordered by the Lord 
Joseph did, didn't he? At the close of the book of Genesis, God permitted it. No, no, let me rethink that through. God meant it for good. Do you believe that there is a bigger picture and a divine storyline of which you are part, but which you will never fully see or understand? Not like God does. As we heard from Eli the priest the other week, it is the Lord. Let him do that which seems good to him. Interestingly, we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, when Jesus heard that, God, that John had been put in prison. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, now what do you suppose comes next? What would you want to happen in a similar situation today? Jesus arranged a huge protest on social media at the moral outrage of it all. How dare the civil authorities treat him that way? Ooh, they're against us, you know. Hmm. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And then we read that Jesus went out and started to preach. And he left John in prison. But Jesus, they've thrown John the Baptist in prison. Don't you care? It is the Lord. John has fulfilled the task that God gave him. More on that later. But John was faithful to the end. That's what matters. We'll think about that a little more. Have you ever dared to think that you are more deserving than the lot that God has apportioned to you? If there was ever anyone who did not deserve what came their way, who was that? If there ever was one man who did not deserve what came his way, who was that? Faced with the choice of crucifixion, Pontius Pilate asked concerning Jesus, what wrong has he done? And Jesus said, if you are to be his disciple, you must, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Have you done that? Are you ready to do that? The fact is, time and time again, you will be faced with circumstances in which an unbeliever will declare, that's just so unfair. That's not what I deserve. I deserve so much better than that. You can hear the world saying that every single day. 
And of course, the danger is that very often your heart will get taken up with anger and hatred and spite and malice and bitterness. For the Christian, well, that just cannot be so, can it? My God works all things, all things, according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1, verse 11. Yes, he does, says Paul, as he recovers from receiving 39 lashes of the whip for the fifth time. And again, as he regains consciousness after having been stoned and left for dead. My God works all things according to the counsel of his will, says Johnny Erickson Tarda, after more than 50 years in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the chest down. God, in the depths of his infinite wisdom, had a particular path for Johnny to walk down or not be able to walk down. A particular life for her to live, a particular testimony for her to demonstrate and share, a saviour's love and grace for her to make known. And he had a path and a life for the Apostle Paul. And he had a path and a life for John the Baptist. He has a life and a path for you, Christian. Others will receive and enjoy blessings in this life which you will be denied. But remember this. Only in this life, only for a time, and always for a reason. Even if the reason eludes you. And also remember this. There are blessings which God never denies any of his children. The God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. But what does Paul say immediately before that? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And what he's about to say can be claimed and known by every single Christian, regardless, regardless of your situation or circumstances. These things will never change. These things can never be taken away from you. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his son, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, 
having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in all things, in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All those blessings are known by every believer, irrespective of who you are, where you are, how you are. It's important to remember that. And when you recall the extent of God's grace that he has made to abound towards you in Jesus Christ, things which you could never hope to deserve, they will keep you. They will keep you from envy and bitterness when it seems that others have received certain blessings that you haven't. You remember what you do have in Christ. You have already received in Christ the greatest blessings which God could ever bestow. There is no greater blessing that God is withholding from you as his child. Never. If you focus and meditate upon those blessings which God never denies to any of his children, because actually they are the things which make you his child... That will keep you from ever complaining about the blessings that you think you deserve but you don't have. Learning to be content as you abide in Christ. Well, that's one important lesson that I learned from John the Baptist. I hope it helps you. Here's a second. John the Baptist was a man who we see fulfilling his task Fulfilling his task. Now John, of course, is related to Jesus. Luke's gospel records all of the details in the opening chapter concerning the miraculous conception to childless Elizabeth and letting us see that John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus in human terms. What happened between John the Baptist's birth and his appearing as a preacher and baptizer, well, we know less about John the Baptist than we do about Jesus, in fact. We haven't a clue. But we do have one startling thing said about him in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. He will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, here is someone marked out for something very special. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Imagine that. He's a gospel preacher. He will also go before him, Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, after Abraham and Moses, Elijah was considered by many Jews to be the greatest of God's Old Testament people and the greatest of the prophets. 
And of course, it was Moses and Elijah who appeared alongside Jesus on that occasion on the top of the mountain, which today we call his transfiguration. In Malachi chapter 4, we read that there is to be another Elijah. And that's the passage that the angel is quoting from as he's speaking to Zacharias in Luke chapter 1. Not the Elijah, but another like Elijah, another as significant as Elijah, who will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Someone who you, Jewish people, should be placing alongside Elijah in your honor of him. And so significant a role is this, so significant a man will John the Baptist be, that we read that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. God has been present in the heart and life of John the Baptist at every point. We know nothing else about him, but we know that, and that's enough to know. God has been leading him, guiding him, instructing him in what he must do, what he must say, giving him the words to speak as he begins to preach. It was very similar, in fact, to what we read about Jeremiah, for example, in the Old Testament. The first, three word, the first words that God speaks to him at the beginning of Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I had, I had my finger on you. I had my hand upon you to use you. You were set apart to me in all of my plans, Jeremiah. Even before you existed, I ordained you a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah. Now, of course, much of this actually is the case for all those who are chosen by God. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1. But in a very special way, these prophets and, and the apostles of Christ were similar in that they had a very unique role in bringing divine revelation into the world. They were God's mouthpiece in a very special and particular way. God would speak directly through them in a way that he doesn't do anymore today. Today, it's always by means of his word, accompanied by the energies of his Holy Spirit. Jesus, of course, was the prophet of prophets, the prophet to end all prophets. But God has a specific and unique task for John the Baptist. Now, all of us are unique, but occasionally one comes along who, in a certain sense, is more unique than others. Now, of course, if you take the word unique, strictly speaking, you can't be more unique than, you know what I mean, but some people just are, aren't they? John the Baptist was. Was John the Baptist more loved by God than you are? No. He loves you just as much if you belong to him. Was John the Baptist more important to God than you are? Actually, no, I don't think he was. I think you are just as important. Did he not send his own son into the world to die for you? Did John have a role to play under God that just anyone could have done? Well, actually, no. It's in that that John is unique. This particular role that he had for him and for which the Holy Spirit actually has accompanied him all through his life. But for us as Christians, of course, it's true. Each of you has a life and opportunities 
and gifts and a personality which is unique, which you can use to serve the Lord, can't you? Don't you? Won't you? And that's the point that we need to focus on, really. John was given a very specific and unique role. It had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. And what matters is that he fulfilled the task that God had given to him. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew 11. And it turns out that having completed his task, he'll spend the rest of his days in prison and eventually be executed. Here's the lesson that we learn from John. Whatever it is that the Lord has given you to do, whatever it is that the Lord has placed into your hands, be faithful, be obedient, be content, and be glad. For one lady in the USA, what the Lord gave her, what the Lord placed into her hands, was an entire adult life sitting in a wheelchair. Some have had situations far worse than that as the world looks at it. From such believers, take great encouragement. By such believers, be rebuked if you need to be and challenged. But then stop looking at them and look to Christ. And consider him. Whatever it is that he gives you to do. Whatever it is that the Lord has placed into your hands as a Christian. Be faithful. Be obedient. Be content. Be glad. John fulfilled his task. You fulfill yours. Whatever that might be. And... Your eternal inheritance awaits you with everlasting joy. And to conclude, I want to address something which I find to be a very great help. Given all that's said about John the Baptist, isn't there a degree of reassurance for us to discover that even he needed to be reassured? Surely, there is absolutely no doubt in the mind of John the Baptist as to who Jesus is. Surely he's thoroughly convinced. But we discover that even someone like John the Baptist found himself needing assurance. We read about it in Matthew chapter 11. Luke also records it in chapter 7 of his gospel. He is the promised Messiah. Isn't he? Asks John. This greatest of the prophets is permitted a hint of doubt as he languishes in prison. Isn't John the Baptist some super spiritual man who rises above all the kinds of doubts and worries and fears that you go through? No, he isn't. He's flesh and blood just like you are. And sometimes he needs encouragements and reassurances just like you do. 
It's after he's asked the question, are you the coming one? That Jesus commends him as one of the greatest prophets, as the greatest prophet. The fact that he's needed that reassurance doesn't go down as a black mark in Jesus' book. Jesus understands. Do you imagine for a moment that Jesus doesn't understand and know John's heart and heartache in his prison cell? Will God not be kind and gentle with his loved ones? And especially when, for a time, they are called to endure the kind of situation that John the Baptist was called to endure in prison? Will God not be kind and tender towards him? Of course he will. So what's, what's running through John's mind? Well, it just simply kind of goes like this. I know Jesus is the one. Please tell me again that Jesus is the one. You've been there? John's just a man like, like you and me. He's just flesh and blood. And here's the wonderful thing. Jesus knows what the antidote is when assurance is required. What does Jesus say? Go and tell him about me. That's it. That's all he'll need. Tell him what you are seeing. Tell him what you are hearing. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Go and tell him. The dead have been raised and the gospel is being preached. Go and tell him. That's all he'll need to know. That's Christ's reply. Tell him about me. That will be enough. Isn't that interesting? I think that's wonderful. If ever you find yourself lacking assurance, or you know of someone who's struggling with lack of assurance, here's what you do. You prayerfully open your Bible, and you read. And in your reading, you see and you hear Christ and that'll do it that'll do it convinced afresh of your own sinfulness convinced afresh of his atoning death and resurrection and of his mercy and his grace convinced afresh of his great loving kindness towards you in all his promises for those who will repent of their sins and entrust themselves to him, convinced of the renewing, transforming work of the Holy Spirit within you, convinced of your salvation, convinced of your forgiveness, your pardon, your cleansing, your, your adoption, convinced of saving and continuing grace, convinced in the word of God, and like Thomas, as his doubts flew away, kneeling before Christ, able to say with renewed commitment, my Lord and my God. Go back to Christ.
he will be enough. When feeling the need of assurance, the answer that will do the trick is this. Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply, as to a little child. I am so weak and weary and helpless and defiled. Tell me the story slowly, that I may take it in, that wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often. I forget so soon. The early dew of morning has passed away by noon. Tell me the story softly, with earnest tones and grave. Remember, I'm the sinner who Jesus came to save. Tell me that story always, if you would really be in any time of trouble a comforter to me. Tell me the same old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. Yes, and when that world's glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story. Christ Jesus makes you whole. Then you will be able to sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching, waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness and lost in his love. It's a glorious thing to be a Christian.